Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to today's episode. This week, we're in focus, where we explore more advanced wealth planning topics. Today, we'll discuss U.S. beneficiaries at Canadian estates, U.S. tax issues applicable to inheriting shares of Canadian corporations. By way of background, this program will cover the U.S. taxation and tax reporting obligations applicable to U.S. beneficiaries who inherit an interest in a Canadian corporation. While the U.S. and Canada are neighbors, close allies, and very similar in many ways, there are still a myriad of issues that arise when U.S. beneficiaries inherit interest in a Canadian company. This includes Canadian tax on debt and Canadian taxation of the estate, Canadian and U.S. income tax compliance obligations, which may apply to the U.S. beneficiary, and potential Canadian and U.S. income tax, which may apply to the U.S. beneficiary on certain transactions within the estate and or certain distributions from the estate. In this program, our speakers will delve into all these issues. Today, we're privileged to hear from Beatrice Davila and Sergei Todorenko, both, MN, both at firm MNP, which is a Montreal-based accounting firm. For my U.S. audience who may not be familiar, MNP was founded in 1958 and is one of the largest national accounting, tax, and business consulting firms in Canada. They have over 7,700 team members, over 1,100 partners, and work with clients around the world. Features is a partner and business advisor with MNP's International Taxation Group in Montreal. Her services include cross-border international tax consulting, cross-border estate planning, and planning with trusts personal tax compliance in Canada and the U.S., departure, and expatriation. Beatrice is a chartered professional accountant and chartered, and chartered accountant. She also holds the U.S. certified public account designation in Illinois. Sergey is a member of the Quebec Bar and is a cross-border tax practitioner. He provides tax and estate planning advice to high net worth families in Canada and the United States, including Americans living in Canada and Canadians moving to the United States, as well as business owners operating in both countries. As part of his practice, he also advises executors and trustees in the administration of estates and trusts with beneficiaries and assets in Canada and the United States. Today, Beatrice and Sergey will be speaking on U.S. beneficiaries of Canadian estates, U.S. tax issues applicable to inheriting shares of Canadian corporations. Now, with that introduction, I'll now turn the program over to Beatrice and Sergey. Thank you, Jonathan, and good morning, everyone. In this presentation, we'll run through a case study to highlight the intricacies of Canadian taxation for Canadian estates with U.S. beneficiaries and the potential U.S. income tax pitfalls for the U.S. heirs. Just some uh, housekeeping notes before we get started. This material is not comprehensive as we will be providing a high-level discussion of select Canadian and U.S. tax issues. As you know, each situation of a Canadian estate with one or more uh, U.S. beneficiaries is unique and may involve additional issues which are not referenced in this presentation. The analysis has been prepared based on current laws that are subject to change and our presentation cannot be construed as providing tax advice. So let us introduce you to that estate. 
Good morning. So dad was a Canadian citizen and resident. He passed away in 2021. Um, on his, at the time of his death, dad was not married and did not have a common law spouse. Dad was not a US taxpayer, nor was what we call a US domiciliary for US state tax purposes. Among his assets, dad owned shares of a Canadian private corporation, Canco. Uh, Canco is what uh, is, a U, is a PFIC or passive foreign investment corporation under US income tax rules. We'll get into a bit later what is a PFIC. Uh, the beneficiaries of dad's estate are his three children, namely two children who live in Canada and one child who lives in the United States whom we refer to as US beneficiary. All of the children are adults. Each child is entitled to one third share of dad's estate. The US beneficiary is not a Canadian tax resident as defined under the Canadian income tax rules. The, the, beneficiary, the Canadian resident beneficiaries are neither US taxpayers nor US domiciliaries for estate tax purposes. The children, the three children are, are the executors of dad's estate. And uh, finally, dad's estate is assumed to be an estate and not a trust under US income tax rules. We want to highlight one thing already is that all references to US tax are limited to federal tax. Uh, we do not consider state tax in this presentation for the US resident beneficiary. And in certain instances, uh, state income tax rules may produce different outcomes than federal income tax rules in the United States. So in this case study, we'll go over three selected components. First, we'll do an overview of the Canadian tax consequences that arise on death of an individual and the Canadian taxation of the estate of that deceased individual. Then we'll do an overview of certain Canadian and US income tax compliance obligations, which may apply to the US beneficiary. And on our third component, we'll look at the Canadian and US uh, income tax that may apply to US beneficiaries on certain transactions within the estate and on certain distributions from the estate. So let's get started. There are special Canadian tax rules that, have, that apply on death. When that died, he, he was deemed to have sold all of his assets for proceeds equal to fair market value. There's some exceptions to these rules, but we're not gonna cover this uh, in this presentation. In that case, he owned the shares of Canco on death. If the fair market value of the shares on death was greater than the cost basis, a capital gain is realized on that death. That gain is then taxed on that final personal income tax return at graduated rates. In Canada, top, um, Rates on capital gains range from 24 to 27%, depending on the province of residence of that individual. Now, from an estate point of view, the estate will receive the shares of Canco with a cost basis equal to the fair market value at the time of that death. As you can see, the Canadian tax rules triggered on death from a Canadian, uh, for a Canadian tax resident differ significantly from the current US state tax regime imposed on US citizens and domiciled individuals. By contrast, while the Canadian tax system taxes the accrued gains on the assets owned on death, the US system levies a tax on the fair market value of the assets, irrespective of gain or losses accrued on the assets.
The tax residence of an estate uh, in Canada is a question of fact. However, the Canada Revenue Agency takes the position that an estate resides where its real business is carried on, which is where the central management and control of the estate takes place and that the residence of the executor does not always determine the residence of the estate. So usually the management and control of the estate rests with and exercised by an executor, a liquidator, an administrator, or other legal representatives of the estate. In our particular case, the Canadian tax resident executors make all the substantial decisions of the estate, in which case the estate is a resident of Canada for income tax purposes. And this will be our assumption for the rest of our presentation. So from a Canadian income tax perspective, the estate is taxed as an individual, but the rules for taxation of states and individuals are not necessarily identical. The estate of an individual during the first 36 months following the date of death of the individual could be considered a graduated rate estate, is what we call generally a GRE, if the executor so designates in the first year of the estate. In contrast, if we have a trust created in the will of the deceased, that is not a GRE. As the name indicates, a GRE has access to graduated rates available to individuals and a choice of ERN. So now it means that the GRE can have a fiscal year end and not necessarily a calendar year end. So a GRE has a special status under the Canadian Income Tax Act, and this status is very important for tax and uh, state planning in Canada. In our particular case, we'll assume that the executors of that state made a timely designation to treat the state as a GRE. So component two relates specifically to the US beneficiary. So we'll start with the shares of CanCo as uh, under US income tax rules. So CanCo is in essence a PFIC or passive foreign investment company due to, the, due, due to it being first a foreign corporation and second, due to its assets and income being primarily passive in nature. Passive referring to uh, income not derived from an active business. So it could be income from dividends, ga gains, uh, interest, annuities, rental income and other, uh, and other income of a similar nature. Under U.S. income tax rules, as a beneficiary of dad's estate, the U.S. beneficiary could be deemed to own one-third of the shares at Canco as of the date of dad's death. And this could be with the beneficiary, this could even be the case even though the beneficiary has not yet received legal title to those shares and is not aware of that fact. So concretely, what does it mean to be a U.S. shareholder of a PFIC in our case? Well, um, the U.S. beneficiary uh, will be subject first to tax on a punitive tax on excess distributions. A distribution from CanCo uh, is not limited to simply receiving, uh, receiving or being deemed to receive a dividend. It can also refer to receiving property in kind or any item of a monetary of, of monetary value. An excess distribution is a very specific kind of distribution from a PFIC. Uh, it is one of two things. First, it can be a distribution um, whose value exceeds 125% of the distributions of the three preceding years um, 
calculated as of uh, when the US shareholder became a shareholder of that PFIC or is deemed to. So in this case, when the US beneficiary is deemed to require shares of CANCO, i.e. date of dad's death. The second kind of excess distribution could be again realized on the sale of the shares of CANCO. And as we'll see, it doesn't necessarily have to be the US beneficiary owning the shares of CANCO who sells them, who realizes that excess distribution. Could also be triggered potentially if dad's estate sells the shares of CANCO or part of them without the US beneficiary even being aware. Should be noted that the applicable, that um, an excess distribution is punitively taxed under US income tax rules. First, the uh, distribution is taxed as ordinary income, notwithstanding even if it's a capital gain, and it should be taxed at the highest US income tax rate, which today is 37%. On top of that, um, the beneficiary is deemed to have should be deemed to have received the distribution over a, uh, over a number of years, namely since the year that the since the last distribution requiring the shares of the PFIC. And in each year, not only is the um, a percentage of the uh, distribution taxed at the highest rate, but there's an interest charge that are that is levied for preceding years, as if the beneficiary had not reported the distribution. So it's effectively the beneficiary gets penalized. With respect to Canco and the, with respect to the estate proper, uh, the US beneficiary also has a series of US tax reporting obligations. And as we'll see, failure to comply with any of these obligations can trigger significant penalties. So the US beneficiary, even though he or she may not have yet received the shares of Canco, still has to report deemed ownership of them and any distributions. And these obligations include first uh, form 8621, which is to report if there've been any distributions received from the PFIC, and also to report if any elections are being made with respect to the PFIC. It should be noted that on a case-by-case -case basis, there may be certain strategies or elections that could be implemented to mitigate to a degree the punitive nature of PFIC taxation on excess distributions, but again, it's always going to be on a case-by-case -case basis, no size fits all. There is also an obligation to file Form 5471, which is to report first that the U.S. beneficiary acquired the shares of CANCO or is deemed to require as of dad's death um, due to the beneficiary holding at least 10% of the shares of that company by either votes or value. And then there are two other obligations. There's Form 8938, and this is an obligation that many US taxpayers who have foreign investments may not be aware of, is that when you hold foreign, uh, what are called specified foreign financial assets, so really foreign investments, which may include an interest in a foreign trust or estate, the obligation to, there's an obligation to disclose all of those assets to the IRS by filing Form 8938. Uh, if their total value exceeds a certain threshold, and that threshold will depend on whether you live in or outside the United States as a U.S. taxpayer, and also on your filing status. If you're filing single or joint married filing, the threshold varies. Finally, Form 3520 is a form uh, that must be filed to report any distribution that a U.S. taxpayer receives from a foreign trust or a foreign estate. For all of these forms, there can be a significant penalty if there's a failure to file. In many cases, the base penalty could be 
$10,000 per form, although in certain cases, the penalty may even be higher. The US beneficiary as an executor um, also must file FBARs or foreign bank account reports uh, to report any, to report their signing authority over any foreign or non-US bank accounts at dad's estate over which the beneficiary as an executor has signing authority. So we're now going to go to component three. So in this section, we'll discuss potential US and Canadian income tax that may apply to the US benefit, uh, beneficiary on certain transactions within the estates and distributions from the estates. Within this section, we have selected three potential situations. Let's examine the first scenario where the states receives a distribution from CANCO, but does not make a distribution to the US beneficiary until a subsequent year. So on our initial assumption, uh, we said that that estate was a GRE. The distribution received from CANCO will be taxed in the estate at graduated tax rates. For purposes of this discussion, let's assume a 40% tax rate. So as a simple example, and purely from a Canadian income tax perspective, let's assume that in year one, CANCO distributes $100 to the estate. That $100 is not distributed or credited to a beneficiary in that same year. Now let's assume the estate pays the $40 of Canadian income tax on that distribution, and the after-tax amount of $60 is now capitalized in the estate and will form part of the estate's capital. So in that first year, neither of the beneficiaries of the estate is subject to Canadian income or withholding tax on the $100 distribution from CANCO. Now assume in year two, $20 is distributed to each of the beneficiaries. Again, solely from a Canadian income tax perspective, this amount represents capital and is not subject to additional tax to the Canadian resident beneficiaries nor to the non-resident beneficiary. There are some exceptions as usual. So under Canadian income tax rules, there's a category of dividends that is called capital dividends, which can be received by Canadian tax residents on a tax-free basis. However, the distribution of capital dividends to a non-resident of Canada will attract Canadian withholding tax. We're not gonna go into an in-depth discussion about the capital dividends, but this distinction will be relevant when we review the US tax implications for the US beneficiaries. <clears throat> so from a US um, income tax perspective, we have classified CANCO as a PFEC. Under the indirect ownership rules, the US beneficiary is treated as owning proportionately the PFEC stock directly held by that estate. In our previous example, the distribution from CANCO to the estate is treated as a distribution from the PFIC to the US beneficiary. The US beneficiary should be subject to US income tax on the distribution and potentially an additional interest charge. Even distributions from CANCO that are tax-free from a Canadian perspective, like the case of capital dividends, could be subject to these PFIC excess distribution rules. From a US income tax compliance perspective, the US beneficiary must report the distribution from the PFIC to the estate in Form 8621. Since the estate is, did not make an actual distribution to the US beneficiary, 
Form 3520 should not be required under this scenario as the income is only imputed under the U.S. anti-deferral rules. Well, the second situation that we're going to look at is what it happens if dad's estate pays distributions that are received from Planco to the U.S. beneficiary. So first, from a Canadian income tax perspective at the level of, the, uh, of dad's estate, um, in the year that dad's estate receives any distribution from Canco, the estate can allocate and pay that amount to the U.S. beneficiary or to any other beneficiary. Um, by doing this, the estate is able to effectively deduct that distribution from its taxable income and transfer the liability to the beneficiary. The U.S. beneficiary should be subject to Canadian income tax on the distribution rather than the estate itself. Um, under Canadian income tax rules, regardless of what the distribution is, dad's estate generally must remit a certain percentage of the gross amount of the distribution to the CRA as withholding tax. Uh, the default withholding rate is 25%. However, under the Canada-US tax treaty, if the distribution is paid to a US resident beneficiary, it may be possible to reduce the withholding to 15% of the gross amount. Um, whatever the rate is, the estate is required to produce and file withholding slips called NR4s with the CRA and to provide the U.S. beneficiary, in our case, with a copy of the slip. Um, for his part, the U.S. beneficiary must report the distribution from the estate on Form 8621 and a U.S. income tax and potentially an additional interest charge. Fortunately, the Canadian withholding tax can be applied as a foreign tax credit, although it is not always a given that that tax credit may completely offset the U.S. income tax liability on the distribution. Uh, in addition, uh, because the distribution is pay paid by a foreign estate, the beneficiary will should also file the 3520 to report the distribution from the foreign estate. And I want to reiterate again, especially with the Form 3520, that a failure to file it can trigger a substantial uh, penalty, and, and that penalty may even apply if it's filed, but on a late basis. Now, the third select situation we're going to review is what if dad's estate transfers the shares of Canco to the U.S. beneficiary? So I will discuss the Canadian income tax implications and uh, Beatrice will discuss the U.S. income tax implications after. From a Canadian standpoint, uh, this transfer of shares of Canco to the U.S. beneficiary is likely to be deemed a distribution of capital by a Canadian estate to a non-resident beneficiary. And in this instance, the, Canadian, the CRA has taken the position that this is as if the beneficiary disposed of their capital interest in the estate. And the reason we use the term capital interest is because as we'd stated in the beginning, um, the estate from a Canadian income tax perspective is treated as a trust. And whenever a trust makes a capital distribution to a beneficiary, that distribution is generally treated as the beneficiary selling their interest, partial or total in that trust. So the rule has been transposed to the estate. In this instance, the US beneficiary may be deemed to have disposed of a taxable Canadian property or TCP and may be subject to Canadian withholding tax and obligations on the deemed disposition or sale of the TCP. Uh, it can get even more complicated based on what the asset base of the shares of Canco are. 
in certain instances that can add a complexity that we will not get into in this presentation. Um, in this case, the um, US beneficiary likely has an obligation to file an application for a compliance certificate on a timely basis. And this is effectively a withholding certificate to reduce their withholding tax from a percentage on the gross value of the capital interest to the uh, estimated gain on this interest. This is a fairly, com this is a fairly complex area of Canadian uh, uh, tax law. And as a general rule, um, as soon as uh, an executor or beneficiary is aware of this uh, situation, they should immediately consult a Canadian tax advisor for precise advice on the applicable Canadian tax and tax reporting obligations that may apply, whether it be at the estate level or the level of the non-resident beneficiary. So we'll now discuss the US income tax implications of this transfer of shares. So from a US income tax perspective, there is no US income tax event from moving from an indirect beneficial ownership to a direct ownership. Assuming that the distribution of shares of CANCO triggered Canadian tax, as Sergey explained, the US beneficiary could report this tax as a foreign tax credit and carry it forward to future use if not used in the current year. From a US income tax perspective, the US beneficiary is acquiring the shares of the PFIC with a cost basis equal to the fair market value at the time of that death. As the shares of CANCO are now actually distributed, to the US beneficiary. The US beneficiary has to report this distribution from that state in form 3520. Failure to file this form, as Sari has highlighted already, there is a, a potential penalty, a significant penalty for failure to file. So we're going to conclude the, um, our presentation with uh, some key takeaways based on whether uh, you're the executor of a Canadian estate that has non-resident beneficiaries, or if you're a US beneficiary of a Canadian estate. So from the perspective of the executors, uh, one of the first questions you should ask yourself if you're the executor of a Canadian estate is, are any of the beneficiaries of the estate non-residents under Canadian income tax rules? As we have seen, distributions made to non-resident uh, beneficiaries may attract a, a set of compliance obligations and tax for the estate. In addition, if any of the executors or beneficiaries of the state are non-residents under Canadian income tax rules, they should first consult a Canadian tax advisor on what Canadian tax and tax reporting or filing obligations apply to the estate with respect to those executors or beneficiaries. One of the points we have, one of the points that uh, sometimes is missed is that the residency of the executors can have a determinant effect on how the estate is treated under Canadian income tax rules. It's administered by primarily non-resident executors that can, that, that can pose a Canadian tax issue. And on top of that, can also pose legal, implica uh, legal issues. Um, from an estate administration perspective, a Canadian uh, lawyer's uh, advice should be sought on the ramifications of the estate having either non-resident executors or non-resident beneficiaries. For example, if there's a non-resident executor, there may be an obligation in the province of where the estate is administered to provide a form of security or bond to secure obligation uh, execution of or fulfillment of the executor's duties. 
Um, in addition, Canadian banks or financial institutions in the past have shown a reluctance to take instructions from any non-resident executor, even if that executor happens to be a Canadian citizen. The fact that they're not a Canadian tax resident or don't have a Canadian address has been an issue in the past. And in addition, when there's a non-resident beneficiary, again, there's um, the withholding obligations applicable to the estate um, Trigger, may trigger a legal obligation for the executors. And if that, if that withholding obligation is not uh, complied with, then the executors could be potentially on the hook for failure to comply. Now, from the perspective of a US beneficiary of a Canadian estate, well, first you should obviously consult a Canadian tax advisor to understand if you have any Canadian tax or tax reporting obligations, with respect to your status as a non-resident beneficiary, as we've seen, receiving capital distributions from the um, from a Canadian estate um, may require you to apply for a compliance or withholding certificate from the CRA to um, uh, to report a disposition of the property and remit uh, tax on the capital interest in the estate. In addition, you should also consult a U.S. tax advisor because, as a U.S. tax Payer, you're subject to US income tax and tax reporting obligations on your worldwide income and assets. And these include substantial disclosure obligations and potential tax liability on any distribution you receive directly or indirectly from a foreign, from a foreign estate or foreign corporation or even a foreign trust. And if you fail to file these, uh, any of these disclosure obligations or several of them, the, the penalties are significant and can easily pile up. So we trust that this presentation has given you um, an understanding and an appreciation for the complexities of Canadian estates that have US resident beneficiaries. Um, and also, especially when that estate happens to hold shares of a Canadian private corporation, how quickly the administration of the estate can become complicated and the significant U.S. and Canadian tax and tax reporting obligations that may apply to a USU as a U.S. resident beneficiary of a foreign estate. Thank you. It has been a pleasure discussing this topic with you. Well, thank you so much, Beatrice and Sergey, for that succinct overview of such an important topic. I thought that was extremely informative. Be mindful that this talk was meant to illustrate on a high level some of the Canadian and U.S. tax complexities which may arise from a U.S. resident individual being a beneficiary of a Canada state. Naturally, as with all my in-focus episodes, this information is not intended to be exhaustive. Each situation of a Canadian estate with one or more U.S. beneficiaries is unique and may involve additional issues which are not referenced in this program. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, as I end every episode, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at 
Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.